Hi there, and welcome back to the Beyond Aromatics podcast. Today we have on special guest Sandra Schaff. Sandra is a grower, master artist and distiller, and trained aromatherapist. She is a board member for the Washington Lavender Growers Association, regional director for the U.S. Lavender Growers Association, and regional director in Washington with NAHA. Sandra has been mentored by world leaders in essential oils and hydrostalls in both distillation and aromatherapy. Her true passion is as an educator to guide people into a healthy life through holistic resources. All right, enjoy the show. So welcome back to the Beyond Aromatics podcast. I'm here today with my dear friend, and I'm so glad I can say that. Sandra is the owner, the, what do you say, farmer, you're, how I'm do you? A, I'm a grower and a, a grower, distiller. Um, of Evening Light Lavender Farms here in, right outside, really technically, right, Spokane, Washington. And um, she is also our regional director for NAHA, which is kind of how we got to know each other. And I That's had right. the honor of being able to meet her in in her farm so right now uh do you want to tell us where we're at sandra sure we uh, i mean specifically or mm-hmm. okay well we are specifically sitting on a couch on the dance floor of our wedding venue um, but we were able to look out at the at the lavender fields and uh, we missed the sunset already tonight uh, but it's uh it's a really beautiful place to be actually so in the in kind of the middle of this big lavender farm, which I've got to say, like driving up to it and seeing all the different shades of purple was like, I've seen it in pictures, but seeing it in person and yeah, I say shades of purple, shades of pink and shades of like off white and blues and stuff was quite something to behold. And I guess you get to enjoy this all seasons of life and stuff. So that must be pretty special, but Um, I kind of wanted to have you here today so we could talk about, you know, how you got started and really what you do with this lavender farm, this, um, this beautiful place you've created. Um, tell us how, how did this evening light lavender come to be? Well, it came to be because I, by the time I actually was able to have the reality of being able to start studying to become a naturopath, which is what I really wanted to do. Uh, by then, I had raised my children, helped my husband start his business. Um, by then, you know, we had moved away from the Seattle area, so Bastyr was too far away. And I couldn't fathom leaving my husband for eight years so I could go to school, right? So, um, you know, the long of the short of it is, one day my husband said, well, why don't you do something with our property? Because we have this 50 acres, and we hadn't done anything with it. And... So, you know, I thought about that a lot, and I prayed about it, and uh, one day we had gone over to Seattle, and on our way back, we stopped in Leavenworth, and if you haven't been to Leavenworth, Washington, that's a really cool place to go. Um, it's a Bavarian community there. I mean, you feel like you've just stepped in Switzerland. It's really cool. Anyway, we stopped in there at my favorite uh, bookstore and got my iced tea, and I was just walking around, and all of a sudden, I looked over and kind of turned my head sideways and looked at this book on the shelf, and it was all about lavender. And by the time we got back to Spokane, that book was highlighted. It was written on. It was, I had plans. I mean, it, everything that I had been trying to figure out, what was I going to do now that I've raised my children and, you know, started my husband's company. Now, what, what, now it's my turn, right? And I knew. I knew then. 
at that time that that's what it was going to be. Um, I think it's pretty cool, and I, I know you've told me this, but uh, why lavender works out so well in uh, your area and on your property, and why it was kind of the winner of all the things you could be doing with your with your land. Oh, well, because I have terrible soil. <laughs> I mean, because if you think about it, that lavender is a Mediterranean plant, and um, for uh, where we are, the the land that we have had been over, you know, used by the cattle that the the previous owner had run cattle. Uh, we're now the third owners since the days of the prairie days, you know, on this piece of property. But the previous owner ran cattle on it, and so it was fairly depleted. And um, one thing about lavender is that if you think about Mediterranean soil, it's it's dry, it's rocky, it's sandy. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of nutrients in it, and it's perfect for lavender. And so this was perfect. So so how did your first um, experience growing lavender? Because you, you've never really done it before, had you? Well, before I planted anything, um, I spent, after that, I spent like three years getting reading anything I could get my hands on. Um, and I started, um, you know, of course, the internet searches and stuff, and you can't always trust those I've learned. Um, but I also um, joined the U.S. Lavender Growers Association, uh, and uh, which is a national organization, uh, and I and I just started learning all about it, everything I could. Once I did that, um, I did a test garden, and I put two of multiple different varieties in this garden, uh, and some of those actually still exist today. I did that at first, and um, based on that, then I started my first plantings. So you tell us the story of um, how your first winter went with the lavender. Oh, you want me to tell that one? I love that one. It's so <laughs> funny to me. Okay, so <clears throat> I went to go plant my first field, and um, I planted 10 rows. And those 10 rows were 102 feet long. And I, in all the research I had done and stuff, because we are in the coldest climate that lavender can grow in, uh, we are also what's considered the beginning of um, high altitude lavender because we're above 2,500 foot elevation. So, and we have four seasons here. So, I was going to cover the lavender. So, I covered the first five rows um, that I was going to cover. And then I had family members tell me that that was just really dumb. I didn't need to do that. I was wasting time, I was wasting money all this kind of stuff. And I finally got mad and I walked away. And so that meant that five of those rows weren't covered. Well, when the season ended and we went out to uncover it, well, the part that I did not cover, every single one of those were dead. And the part that I had covered was now twice the size. It was green. It was beautiful. And ever since then, there's no question what we do the first two years (laughs) that we plant new lavender. So, yeah, it is kind of funny because, I mean, it's also kind of sad. Yeah. Right? But that's part of the learning experience, right? You had a little trial phase and you're like, see, this is the way that I have to do it now, right? Right. I didn't ever have to explain it again after that. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And uh, the other thing, too, is it also gave me an opportunity that, because I do a lot of teaching for the U.S. Lavender Growers uh, Association during their conferences and that sort of thing. And, but it gave me an opportunity really to help a lot of other people too that, um, 
you know, they didn't know what, what they needed to do in the wintertime and given a similar climate, um, I was, I've been able to help a lot of people save their plants. That's so, awesome. Yeah, because in one of my presentations, I have pictures where I can see, you can see both sections side by side, and it's just like totally vast in its differences. So um, so you started out, you had five rows that made it in your little test garden. Um, and so what are, you, what are you working with now? What, is it, what does your farm look like today? Today? Well, more than I imagined originally, um, but I have about 21,000 lavender plants in the ground. Um, everything is certified organic, so therefore that means that everything is done by hand. So whether it's weeding or planting or uh, maintaining it, um, fertilizing, if it's or whether it's trimming or um, anything that we do, it's all done by hand here, everything. So um, that's a lot of plants. Well, how many different plots do you have, I guess, would you say? Um, okay, well, I have, a, I have multiple different fields. So we have seven different what you would call, we call fields. But mm -hmm. within each of those fields, we also have, like you said, a plot uh -huh. um, that would be some people's fields. And uh, we have multiple colors of lavender. We have white. Uh, we have three different colors of pink lavenders. We have uh, violets, blues, purples, lilac-colored uh, lavender. We have, you know, 41 varieties on property. But it's really beautiful because out in the front field, um, it, I made it to look sort of like a patchwork mm -hmm. quilt, right? So that the different colors are all grouped together, and it, it looks really pretty. It does. I, I really love that because you get to see all the contrast, and I think everybody pulls up the first time, and they're like, wait. There's like white lavender. Right. <laughs> this lavender isn't just lavender colored. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I do. I have had men in particular for some reason when they come into the store, they'll look at me and they uh, they'll be asking questions and they go, "Wow, I always just thought lavender was a color." <laughs> you know. Um, but I've had some funny stories too. I've also had people come into the store and I had one woman. Oh my goodness, she told me. Uh, she was smelling a sachet, and she said, well, this isn't real lavender. And I was kind of like, well, I'm standing here looking out the window for all my lavender. <laughs> lavender fields, you're like, well, and then I'm thinking, what could it be? Um, well, so what do you mean by that? And she honestly said, well, it doesn't smell anything like my Tide. I actually oh was speechless, gosh. which is a rare moment, right? <laughs> um, I, I really didn't know how to respond to that exactly, but I went into education mode, and uh, I was gentle about it. And anyway, it was a very interesting experience, but that's one of the funny ones. That is funny. Oh, gosh. Well, so you went from all these plants, they bloom, they're beautiful. Um, and then what did you like have a moment? You're like, okay, well, now I have to do something with them. Where was your... Well, during the, you know, you have three to five years because before you have, f um, you know, full production. Um, it's kind of like when you plant an orchard you know, for an apple tree or something, it takes time before you start bearing fruit, at least in the production you need to. And so during that time, I mean, I was always learning and always studying and I'm a, I'm a learner before an educator, you know, so it goes together. But I um, did a lot of research and stuff and I um, actually went to a distillers conference for the Lavender Association in Colorado. And that's when I met Ann Herman and that changed my world. I mean, I, then I started taking her classes. I read her, she, her book wasn't out yet at that time. Um, and, you know, of course, I've owned that now, too. But um, so that's kind of where it started. And then uh, over the years, I've been able to study with people literally from all over the globe for distillation. And um, it's really my passion of all the things that I do. 
And so, um, and then I got my first still. Her name is Felicity. She's a 40 liter copper uh, Olympic still. And that's when I did, she, she helped me learn mm-hmm. um, because she helped me uh, through my mistakes uh, and that kind of thing. So I tried a lot of different things with the distillation uh, with her. And then next uh, I got um, Sophia and Bernard. They're both 150 liter uh, copper stills. And I just started learning and I started getting clients and I started, I have a cosmetic company now and just different, you know, things that, um, and it just continued to grow and it's something that I just love doing. Yeah. Um, and, and now I have Lily, my 20 liter still. So that's my, that's my, my copper, mm-hmm. my copper still. family. <laughs> that's my, I was going to say that same thing. So that's just my copper Olympic still family. <laughs> so, so I always like to know, like, what were some of the failures you had? Cause I, I think that's so important to some of things like farming and then distilling. And I feel like that those mm-hmm. Always come to pass, and I always want to know what things other people struggle sure. with. Sure. Well, those kinds of things are some of the greatest teachers, too. Mm-hmm. Maybe the hardest, but they're the greatest teachers. So just like our our frost fabric story, uh-huh. um, that uh, you know, really, truly, it 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 was a big learning lesson, and you don't make that lesson again. You don't make that mistake again. Um, but I do remember my very first distillation on. Um, my big stills, one of my big stills. It was on Bernard. And, um, you know, just getting used to new equipment, too. I mean, now I feel like they all have their own personalities, and I know how they, you know, I almost feel like I end up, feel like they think. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, but when you, the first time I did it, that was my one and only time I had a blowout, you know, from, you know, because you make a, a rye dough to seal the still. And um, traditionally, that's what you do. And I did it, but I somehow made a mistake somewhere, and I had a blowout. And, oh, my goodness, it was so upsetting for me because I have 100 pounds of lavender in there. And I, and I just knew it was going to waste because, and, and tr- rightfully so, by the time that that hydrosol uh, came out, I mean, it had lost those high volatiles. Mm-hmm. And so it was just flat. I mean, it just wasn't exciting at all. And so I learned from that, and I'm, I've never made that mistake again. But that was my very first distillation on it. Oh, so gosh. I was thinking, I'm, I've just invested in all of this, and now I'm going to be a failure. You oh, know, gosh. that's what you yeah. think, right? Yeah. yeah, I think that I didn't know the rye dough was so um, critical. I didn't even realize what you guys were saying when you were like, there's dough up there. And then afterwards, when we were taking it apart, he was like, do you want a piece of bread? And I right, was like, right. <laughs> Yeah, so my my distiller, I have a distiller assistant for the first time this year, and yeah, so he he loves to eat the rye dough off of it, and especially the citruses. When I do, because I do forty eight different botanicals, I don't just do lavender, and so I do the citrus. I do six different citruses, and when I do those, um, in like I did them the end of February, first of March, kind of in there, and um, it was really funny because. He took a bite of that dough and, uh, you know, it cooks. Mm-hmm. So it's not dough. It's, it's actually bread, bread like- right? <laughs> so it's bread that's cooked on my still while we distilled. So whatever it is I'm distilling kind of absorbs into it. I'm gluten-free. I can't eat it anyway, So I and I'm not interested in eating it. <laughs> but um, I've, I had another young man that used to just help clean stills for me. And he used to eat it too. And I was like, hi. But... Apparently, it must taste good. I I won't lie. I, I took a bite today, and then a few minutes later, I like went back for another piece. And a few minutes later, I was like, am I really going back for another piece? <laughs> Lavender bread? <laughs> I don't know why, but it was kind of good in like a weird way. But 
I kind of just thought it was cool, like farm stuff. I was like, stuff you do on the farm. <laughs> yeah. um, so the kind of kind of wanted you to break down like what the difference between what you're doing and what maybe some bigger manufacturers are doing. Okay, so um, yeah, I'm an artisan uh, distiller, and um, one of the big differences is um, typically a commercial distiller is going to be on a stainless steel steel because it's going to be a very large still and copper would be way too expensive um and so for a commercial distiller typically i think a commercial distiller uh fits well with the food and flavor industry more than aromatherapy or perfumery you know kind of a thing but um the the stainless steel is uh it's going to have because it's a larger still it's going to also have pressurized steam that's going to push through it. And their their distillation for an essential oil can be anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half. So it's a really fast process. And economically, that's really what they need to do. But as an artisan distiller, um, I use copper. Uh, and one of the main reasons that I, well, other than the fact that they're beautiful, um, and I have a beautiful copper family, um, but outside of that, um, the uh, sulfides that get pulled out of it through the co- copper distillation process make so that your essential oils and your hydrosols come off the still beautiful. Um, versus in a commercial distiller with a stainless steel, they're gonna those dis- those essential oils really need to sit on a shelf to off gas for about a year before they can even. It's not even anything you'd want to receive, let alone that they can. So um, that that's a big difference right there. And the other thing, too, is the uh, molecules that come through on a um, fast distillation versus a low, slow distillation, because I specialize in hydrosols, so I predominantly distill for the hydrosol, which is a much slower process, a much longer process. So I'm in the still room about 12 hours a day, and um, I usually have fire under them for about seven to eight of those hours. And um, part of the reason for that slow distillation is because there are molecules that are larger molecules that are slower to release. So, And we don't pressure our steam through. We let it naturally rise through, and that's a whole different you know, way to, to approach it. Um, and so those larger molecules will come across um, much later. And if you aren't doing it that way, I feel like you're missing... What the complete product that you could have by doing it faster. I mean, I understand the commercial side, why they have to do it that way, but as an artist and distiller, I get to capture a complete whole essential oil, a complete whole hydrosol. I guess that kind of leads into my next question. Why, why hydrosols? Why not essential oils? Well, I believe in both, right. of course, right? Mm-hmm. But I do live hydrosols, truly. I mean, it's my whole life. Um <laughs> Yes, I have a lot of them in my bathroom, especially. I have some in my kitchen. I've got them. It's my life. My, my grandchildren have their own sets of hydrosols, you know, even in my children. And um, But I do really believe in hydrosols because um, being that it's about one thousandth the strength of an essential oil, a hydrosol um, has a a greater um, opportunity to impact our bodies because our bodies are going to receive those more easily. Um, so I really feel like there's a big place for hydrosols, especially for children and the elderly, the infirmed, um, you know, people that have bad health issues that maybe an essential oil might be a little too powerful for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're a powerful 
tool. They really are. They're they're a gift, but they're they're very powerful. Yeah. And I do believe in using essential oils as well. And I know I I like hydrosols because we have dogs in our house and stuff, and they're right. so much gentler on with around animals. And mm -hmm. um, so, well, I don't know about you, but I use the hydrosols in my diffuser as well. Mm -hmm. Because then I don't have to worry about, you know, the one to three rule and, you know, if it's going to be too much or anything like that. I love using hydrosols in my diffuser. So, but you don't just do hydrostols. You do, and like you said, essential oils. Mm -hmm. You do other skincare products. Um, I do. You do. I, I kind of think this aspect is interesting. Tell us about the um, culinary lavender uses you oh, have. Oh, okay. Culinary lavender. So I have four different varieties of lavender that we... Um, process for culinary, um, which is a much slower harvesting because you have to, you know, bundle it in certain sizes and you hang it and you dry it and then you debud it. It's probably one the most touched process I have is to create the culinary buds. Um, but the reason we do them is um, because they're so wonderful. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I have the white lavender that I have is called Arctic Snow. That's the variety. So it's Lavendula angustifolia variety arctic snow and um, that one is a lavender that has a peppery taste to it so it's lavender with pepper so it's perfect for savory dishes your soups your salads um, it's also good for vegetables perhaps and um, the meats oh yeah to use it on meat is really good um, so um, that is one of them another one that I have is uh, royal velvet and that's a, a, a lavendula angustifolia royal velvet that is also one that's pretty well known. People have known about that one for a long time. Um, but one of them I think is beautiful is um, the Avis Hill variety, um, which is also an Augustifolia. And um, it's a beautiful deep purple lavender with longer stems, but it's an Augustifolia. And it's one that's well-rounded. You can use it across the board, you know, whatever dishes you want to use, from the sweet to the savory to, you know, whether it's an hors d'oeuvre or a dessert or a main dish, it doesn't matter. Um, and then the last one that I have is a Melissa variety, you know, which is kind of funny because I have the Melissa lilac variety of lavender. I have the Melissa variety of lavender. I also raise lilacs here and <laughs> there's Melissa plants, right? So it's a little confusing. Um, but the, the Lavendula angustifolia variety Melissa um, is a really good one for sweet dishes, especially. So um, that's the one I use for my lavender lemonade and lavender iced tea. Uh, we have we serve lavender ice cream as well here on the farm and for weddings, for our festivals, that kind of thing. So um, that's the variety we use for that. And it's a beautiful light pink. Um, the other thing, too, is the whites and the, and the pinks, uh, lavender, colored lavenders, those dry in a gray color. So... Sometimes you might not always want the color or the, the look of the bud in your food. So maybe you want to grind it or something, and you can't even ever see it. And usually what's cool about that is people will say, wow, this is so good, but I can't put my finger on it. What is it? Right? So it's kind of fun to do that. So mm -hmm. anyway. Oh, yeah. So, so you have... Um, one's used for hydrostalls, one you use in foods, and you make a delicious syrup. And what else? You, that lemonade is amazing. Oh, chocolate lavender sauce. Chocolate lavender sauce. Um, but teas. I, yeah. Teas, yeah. I, and then your sachets, you have decorations, you... Um, 
what is your favorite lavender that you grow or what is um, something you well, feel really connected to? Yeah, I'm very, very connected to the Melissa Lilac variety for sure. Um, that's become my signature lavender. And what I really like, well, I like everything about that one actually. So I like f- from the plant structure to the, the style leaves that it is, it's different than most lavenders. Um, the blossom is beautiful lilac color and it looks like a velvet full head. Um, but I, what I love about the aroma about it is the fact that it's, it smells like lavender and honey because it has an undertone of honey to it. And it's a deeper, um, you know, some lavenders like Mayette can be kind of towards the higher notes. Um, but the lavender, Melissa, lavender, Melissa Lilac is, um, that one is, it's more, it's not a bass note, but it's a deeper mid note, you know, so it's absolutely beautiful. So, um, so for people who are like curious about getting into their own, uh, growing and distilling, do you have advice for them, especially just like jumping off the ground and maybe advice for somebody who's looking to, to grow what they're doing or, um, well, education. I mean, really, truly, you need to, you need to have some education, uh, find someone that will, um, help you gain some experience. Um, but uh, the other thing too is don't dive in too big too fast that's that's another thing that people make the mistake of or um, not um, seeking counsel and so therefore planting things that aren't going to grow in their their zone Mm -hmm. for example you know most of the box stores around here want to sell us plants that are ready for zone nine and eleven and we're a five right so it's not going to make it past first frost so there's just Educate yourself. I really believe in education. I think that's the main thing. And maybe like expect some failures. Expect um, sometimes that you. Oh think. well, yes, those things happen. I mean, anytime, even when you propagate plants, they don't all make it. Mm-hmm. You know, so you just have to accept that that's the, that's the way it is. Now, distilling, I don't accept any failures. Yes, point. yes. <laughs> I, it all has to turn out beautiful because I won't waste that much plant. Because if I put a hundred pounds of lavender into a still that's a lot of botanical that you can't go back and replace right you have to wait a year mm-hmm. right for that and um so i do a lot of those and if i were to mess up on those it really would crush me mm-hmm. so i'm very careful about it and um i'm very fastidious about sterilization and and uh making sure that i don't have an opportunity to have contamination you know any of that stuff so it's really important to do it accurately and but learn I mean just learn what you're supposed to do what like what does a day look like in the thick of a harvest season and distillation (laughs) go through what your day looks like maybe even like kind of what your week looks like just to kind of give people an idea of the work you put into this whole process and everything you do on this farm well, from season to season, that does change a bit, but in the thick of it, okay, you were here earlier today, you saw it's a bit crazy, right? There's so many things going on because I have, um, my distiller assistant came in at, I'll just go through today, he came in at four o'clock to um, steam clean the stills and get things ready and start packing them and get the sterilization started and that kind of thing. And at the same time, at five o'clock, my harvesters are coming in. And so, of course, I used to do all of this myself, and it, which to me now it baffles me that I was even able to do all these things myself. Um, but now, you know, 
we have employees and that kind of thing. So then the harvesters come in and I get them laid out as to what it is I need, uh, which varieties, uh, how many pounds, um, because I also, I grow lavender for other distillers. And so I had an order of uh, 720 pounds for someone else that had to get done today too. So it wasn't just for myself that we harvest. And so it's a, it's a lot. I mean, altogether we did about 1180 pounds. I think it was today that we harvested, you know, and that's typical. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a lot of harvest. Um, and then everything has to be weighed and measured and cataloged. And, um, we keep our harvest records. Record keeping is huge, by the way, without record keeping, you don't know what worked, what didn't work. If something doesn't um, turn out quite right, you need to have the records to be able to go back and say, okay, what did I, what, what affected this? Whether mm-hmm. good or bad, actually. What affected this? You know, if it's good, it's like, I want to repeat that. And um, so record keeping is really important. Um, so anyway, so then um, the stills are going, I'm taking care of them. Um, because now my farm is quite public, um, it, because we have lavender festivals, we have weddings here. Um, you have a little storefront out. And I have a store. Yeah, we have our store. So I have a gal that runs my store. So I'm in distilling and people kind of peek their head in and they want to see what's going on. And of course, they want to ask questions. And as long as I'm at a place in my distillation to where it's not going to impact it or if I have... Um, like my distiller helper is not there the whole day. So if he happens to be there, um, then, you know, I'll have him watch the stills for a second so I can actually answer, answer a question to someone because I never want to be rude to anyone or, or blow them off. I, I want them to feel welcome here and I want them to, to feel interested. I really do because I want to share what I've been blessed with. I've been blessed with this beautiful place. I've been blessed with the ability to, as I say, God makes these things and we just get to capture them. It's no different than a physician um, doesn't make a baby. They, they capture that baby, really. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I look at my distillation, that I get the privilege. Um, oh, every time, every single time that angel's mist comes across, which is the very first high, highest volatiles that you can't capture, I literally go over to the this, to this still and I just have to breathe it in because it, it doesn't last but seconds and then it's gone. And you can't experience that if you're not in a distillation mm-hmm. uh, experience like this. And it's so beautiful. And I just feel privileged. And I guess I really want to share that with other people. So I'm willing to take that time with people if I can. You know, but another thing about my uh, distillation is I really love my distillation room um, facility because I try to make it, you know, kind of pretty. And, um, and I want the atmosphere to be one so that the vibration for my oils captures what I want it to do. So I have certain music that I play and I normally, today was a little crazy, but normally I don't like really, really want people to come in. I want that to be a place that's almost sacred mm-hmm. and that it a has sanctuary. a sanctuary. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a beautiful energy that there's, um, I feel like the music has something that it ties into it. I feel like my, my state of being has something that ties into it. There's a little bit of me there. At least I hope so. Mm-hmm. And um, I want it to be such a beautiful product when I'm through that I really don't want anything else to take away from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's it. And what, I mean, today was pretty crazy. And um, 
it's pretty crazy actually because you guys just got done with your lavender festival which I wanted you to spend some time talking about because I think it's pretty incredible what you guys do and you the kind of agro business community you've made with other people in your area and how um, you sustain it and what you do to kind of market your farm, which is why you do have people coming right. and visiting. <laughs> right, yeah, which is, you know, having people come to your farm um, and have it no longer be a private place is an adjustment. Mm -hmm. There's no question about that uh, because this used to be such a quiet, all the time quiet place. And now, you know, and it's still a lot of it is because I'll go out into the UPIC field and people will be out there and it's like a hushed experience. Mm -hmm. It's so quiet. It's like it's sacred ground. Do you think these people, like, feel like they need to be quiet, or do you think they just are? Like, it's that, you almost think, like, it's got to just be something in the air right now. Uh, well, it could, be, it could be the, the emotional impact that lavender has on us, of course. You know, it's mm -hmm. calming. Um, but also, it's so beautiful to be in the midst of an entire field. Mm -hmm. of purple. Uh, there's yes. just something about it, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, undeniably, I mean, I'm here all the time and I, it still impacts me that way. It's mm -hmm. just so exquisitely beautiful. And of course, it's not in bloom all year long. Mm -hmm. And so um, when it is in full bloom, it's it's just, I, I can't stop being appreciative that I get to be part of it. Mm -hmm. um, but it is fun because I, I see the impact it has on people. And I literally go back out to the UPIC field, which is a field all its own. It's all Grosso, 1,300 Grosso plants. And they're out there, you know, I can have 5,000 people in a weekend go through it, and it doesn't look like they've taken any. I know. Well, that's what you were showing today. And I was like, oh, that's it? I know, right? <laughs> Which is amazing, because you're like, I have 5,000 people here in two days. Right. And then all of a sudden, it's you go out there and you go, oh, man, we have to harvest this one, too. Because <laughs> it's the last field that we harvest. Uh -huh. And so literally by the time we get to it, we're like, ugh. <laughs> That's a lot. I'm done with lavender for a while. But um, anyway, so, yeah, we have um, a community here now called Wild Rose Prairie uh, Community. And so what we do here is we have 13, at this point, we have 13 different farms. It's only three years old. And every single farm does something different. And the, I, our goal is for um, people to be able to come from the city and experience rural life. And what, what is that like? You know, and it's different at each place. There's bee maniacs. There's the people that raise the, I forgot the name of the cattle, but they look like an Oreo cookie, you mm -hmm. know, to me, they're black and white. Anyway, then there's the, um, you know, cut flower place and there's a blueberry place and there's a pumpkin place and a Christmas tree place. And it's really fun to be part of that farming community of individuals that, you know, want to band together and the friendships that are built. Uh, it's really special. It mm -hmm. really is. So anyway, that's part of what we do. Um, we have our Lavender Festival that we talked about. Um, and that, to me, from day one, I visualized, you know, the field of dreams, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so this is these are my fields of dream at this point. And um, it's so beautiful when I see people come and they go out in the lavender field and they walk out and they're always smiling, when they leave there, always. And they're carrying these bundles of lavender and they keep sniffing them. And I mean, the first person I ever saw come out of the field on our first festival was an eight-year-old girl. She looked up to me, at least she looked eight years old to me. Uh, beautiful red wavy hair and um, kind of a chubby little thing. And she was skipping and singing, carrying 
a big fat bundle of lavender down the road, uh, you know, our, our driveway, you know, there was part of it. We have roads on our property, but on the road from the lavender fest, uh, field. And I just literally started bawling. I just started crying because it was the epitome of what I was hoping this would become. Mm-hmm. I wanted this to be a place that people would find joy and tranquility and they would be able to experience something so beautiful beyond anything that they've something that they will probably never run into again like it, it's right. really unlikely that you run into just a lot of lavender farms especially i mean and not that i've seen and i know other people who do live in cities and stuff just don't have that experience so yeah so yeah so yeah the the festival has turned out to be something super special we also have a, a community give back um component to it um and the fact that um, there's an organization called Blessings Under the Bridge, and they do ministry to um, help homeless people. Um, and so they feed them every Wednesday night, and they provide education, and they help provide jobs, they help get people off the streets. And I really believe in helping do that. And so part of what we do is for our festival is everybody brings donations of whatever types of things they're needing. Our first festival, we gained over 10,000 pairs of socks. Yeah. For the homeless. I mean, yeah. it does 10, I mean, thousand. That's more pe- that's like so many more people than you even had at that one festival, right? Right, right. So, I mean, every people were bringing bags of socks yeah, for the incredible. homeless and to me that's, you know, that's touches me that the community would join in on that, mm-hmm. right? And that we have the privilege of being that conduit, mm-hmm. you know, to help make that happen. And so, yeah, so what I'm doing in my life right now is super special to me. Um, and then I also do um, have people that um, I have appointments with them for aromatherapy. Mm-hmm. And what I get to do for people for that, too, is also such a tremendous blessing to me. Uh, people with, I have um, a client, for example, that um, has ankle uh, spondylitis, which is, um, cro- she has chronic pain all over her whole body. And she sees a lot of different, um, you know, she has a naturopath and she has a massage therapist and she has, and I'm her aromatherapist. So she's got, you know, different people that um, help with what she has to deal with because she'll have it the rest of her life. So you have to deal with it rather than cure it. Mm-hmm. And um, so she comes to me for a pain blend and also for uh, a blend for insomnia. Mm-hmm. And then just, you know, to be able to be part of helping someone's life like that. I mean, what a privilege. Mm-hmm. What an absolute utter privilege. And, have, and talk about having a purpose in life. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, yeah, I'm in a real special place in my life right now. It feels like you found like a lot of little niches to, to fill in and mm-hmm. found something for your farm and for your property, mm-hmm. which is now a farm. I guess you, you said you had animals on it and things before. Oh, well, before it was bit. a ranch. Yeah. Yeah. And while we were raising our children, it was a ranch. So we had horses and cattle and we had red ingus and we had ducks and geese and goats and chickens and, you know, all the farm animals except sheep. I didn't have sheep and I didn't have llamas, but we had everything else. And it was a great time. For, Did you, you know, ever visualize it would look like this? <laughs> no, there's no way. And I definitely, once the kids were raised, started exchanging poop for flowers. Yes. <laughs> How nice. Uh, yes, good. it's much nicer. <laughs> smells a lot better, too. <laughs> it certainly does. So, you know, you've talked a lot about some of the best things for you, but, like, what are some of the hardest? Um, exhaustion. 
<laughs> no, I'm not. I'm I know si- you're not kidding. This, I'm tired this, of looking at you. <laughs> this season right now, oh, that's this season right now. Um, I just have gone into is really I, I go into a little a hard season because mm-hmm. um, literally our day starts at 4 a.m. and then like last night I went to bed at 11:30 and I'm back up at four. You know, and most of that time. There's very little downtime during mm-hmm. this season. Um, but then, you know, there's the other seasons, too. I right. mean, during that, the, the winter times and that kind of thing, it's not like I'm not doing anything. That's when we're planning and we're um, pulling things together. We're putting the having our meetings for the festivals. We have bridal shows because we do have a wedding venue here also. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's nice now, though, is I'm not doing everything myself. I'm doing right. the parts that really, really are more meaningful to me. So, um I have wedding coordinators to take care of the weddings. I I don't do the harvesting myself anymore, except for I go out and I feel like I have to, I want to go do a couple of days each season mm-hmm. um, just because that's still part of my roots now yeah. of what this is. And, and I love doing it. The most beautiful time of the day here is at four in the morning mm-hmm. with the sunrise. It is so gorgeous and it makes the, you take that lavender and it just looks golden over it and it's breathtaking. Absolutely breathtaking. Uh, but anyways, and the, just the aroma, the birds are chirping, the bees are humming. It's just in, magical. Um, so I do participate in that. But I'm distilling most of the time because dist- distillation really is probably that and um, taking care of people through aromatherapy. Those are probably my very favorite parts of it. Um I do enjoy formulating, though, and blending. And I mean, see, I start going on and on. I like it all. I like it all. So I do. I really do. But I have had to make choices Mm -hmm. about where I need to be the most effective and where someone else, I can still provide these things for people, but I can have someone else do it Mm -hmm. um, and still have it for, for everyone else. Finding a balance and making sure that your hand's still being able to kind of touch all the little pots but well you know we talk about sustainability with botanicals we have to have sustainability in our own lives too we really do we still have to have that time for our family and we have to have that time for our spiritual walk we have to have time for friendships you know and we have to have time for rest Mm -hmm. and of course this is not that season right now (laughs) but (laughs) but i do get it the rest of the year so um you do you teach now that you've collected all this expertise? Do I have uh, classes in the spring and the summer here at the farm? So I have um, classes on you know essential oils and blending. I have classes on hydrosols and how to use them and what are they? Because <laughs> some people just don't know. Right. Um, once they do, they start implementing in their lives. They just can't get enough. Um, and then I also have classes on. Um, lavender and how to grow and maintain it and, you know, care for it. But we also have some fun classes. We have classes where we take lavender stems and we, we make rolled uh, baskets out of them. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, those are those are some of the most fun classes because they're so social, uh-huh. right? Uh, we have a girls' night out at the farm every spring and every fall. Well, last January, my daughter does all of our social media and marketing. So if you see a ton of stuff ever on Facebook and whatever, Christina has done it. She does a beautiful job at it. And she also oversees our festival. Mm-hmm. She and my husband do, actually. And um, they, they stick me in a, in a booth and they call it Lavender School. or I forgot what, <laughs> what they called it. It was um, Evening Light Education Center or something like that. Anyway, I was teaching little vignettes of education to the public, um, at that. But, um, 
So the um, classes and workshops, I also have a girls' night out. So last January, Christina promoted the girls' night out for May. And in 24 hours, it was sold out at 50 people. And so it's like, it's really popular. So that we opened up a second night mm-hmm. and it filled up too. And so we have um, people now saying, well, are you going to do it again in the fall? So we are. And it's so much fun because uh-huh. they get to they get to have culinary. Um, we use our culinary ingredients and they get to have, you know, little like snippets of food of, uh, you know, different kinds of dishes. They get to do taste testing, that kind of thing. Um, we give prizes and um, we also I give a little bit of education about facial care, skin care mostly. Um mm-hmm. Uh, because, and then they get to try all my facial care products because I have a skincare line for each of the skin types. I also have a men's facial care line now, too, and uh, things like beard oil and stuff like that, of oh, course. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, so they get to go through and do that, and then they end up in the store. And then, then we have some, not corny games, you know, like you do at a baby shower or anything like that, but we have some we have some fun things that we do. So it's really a girls' night. A lot of mothers and daughters come, uh-huh. or like a real estate agent will bring her whole office and oh, rent yeah. and take up a whole table, um, things like that. And it's really a special night. So we've got some new things coming uh, in December uh, because so we can do some things in the winter time. We're going to have like a mother-daughter tea. Um, the gals that work in my wedding venue, they come up with these things now. Right. So it's, I, I can't say I, I can't take credit for them. I just get to enjoy the fact that they're here. Um, so, um, yeah, there's a lot that goes on here. Yeah. And everybody who works for me gets to come up with new ideas and they get to implement them. And and so then that's ever en- evolving. Right. So that's enabling them to do something that pleases them while they're pleasing other people. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that's a pretty special part of it, it too. Is. So where can people find find you? Social media, website, Facebook? Probably all of the above uh-huh. <laughs> um, because my daughter makes it sure that that happens. But um, so uh, on Facebook for the farm, it's Evening Light Lavender. If it's for our product line and that kind of thing, it's Positively Aromatic. And then our wedding venue is Lavender Manor. Um, but for wholesale sales and that kind of thing, people usually contact me directly, mm-hmm. uh, either phone or email. So it's, you know, Sandra at, so any of my companies, it's Sandra at whichever company it is. So Sandra at positively aromatic, uh, com is usually the best way to reach me, mm-hmm. you know? So, so, um, and last question, I just wonder where, what are your future plans? Do you really want to hear, see you hear what's all just, in this brain? I, you don't have to pull out the big picture book. Just like, let's say 10 years down the road, maybe. Okay, so I have this new distillation facility going on in my head. How I want to, I've designed it in my head. I do it in my sleep. Um, I, I'm, I'm wanting a 300 liter still. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really am excited about kind of, if I get to do that ever, because that's really the direction I want to go. So still growth. You're looking at absolutely everything you're doing. Oh, I will always grow as long as I'm alive. Um, so the, on my new greenhouse, actually the, the, all the parts to, for that are being delivered tomorrow. So I'm so excited. I'll have, it'll be a 30 by 72 foot greenhouse. So I've been waiting for a long time for that. So I'm pretty excited. That's exciting. Yeah. You're doing some awesome things here. 
I'm I'm excited to see what you do and to come back in the future and maybe next year come to the Lavender Festival. Oh yeah, you would have a good time. That'll be July 11th and 12th next year. But you know the the thing is it's it, it's not me that does it. You say you do a lot of great things, but it's it's a team of people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the yes. opportunity for other people to get to do things too, just yeah. because we're here. It's kind of like a, a sweet blessing, and I can't say it really fell into your lap because I feel like you dug it out of the ground and <laughs> threw it yourself, but it, it, I think uh, you really lucked into something special here, and I think everybody who comes to this farm, you can see it on their face, and you, yeah. can, you can see it in their curiosity, and you right. know, and... Um, yeah, so you saw that today for I yourself, did, didn't I did. you? People, yeah. people were so into this, and um, all the families that came by and all all dressed up and getting pictures, but also just kind of running through the fields. It, it is something really special. So um, it is. It's it's um, different, you know, to be your own property, and all of a sudden you look out and there's families all over the place, <laughs> you know, get taking pictures and having a good time. And but you also wanted to share at the same this time. That's exactly, it's, that's exactly. Exactly. It's exactly what I wanted. That was my field fields of dream. Right. And I have to say that with a plural, fields of dream. my fields of dream, um, it was for that very thing to happen. Uh-huh. And um, if you look at my mission statement, that's basically exactly what it says that I can share this with people, you know, so. So, yeah. so thank you for having me here and having us be able to enjoy this moment for the podcast in, in your backyard of all places. And, um, <laughs> I can't wait to do this again, and maybe we can get you to teach a, a class on either growing or distilling at Naha 2020. No, no pressure putting her on the oh spot. Oh, my. Um, if you don't see Sandra up on stage, you might see her smiling and hanging out in the audience. She. I might just be a little volunteer again and yeah. help everybody out. Thank you so much for, for sitting down with me. and. Oh, thanks for coming. It's been delightful to meet, have you here, and... You know, um, we were both on the trip to Egypt and bonded, and I just feel like you've become a dear friend, and I just thank you for the privilege of having you come and see what my world is about. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Mm-hmm.